Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, uh, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on sports uh, here in chilly New York City uh, with uh, my co-host and friend, the great Jamal Murphy. Great to be here, as usual. Yeah. And, um, you know, our, our guest today um, is uh, has really ignited a firestorm of, of controversy. Uh, but she's also brought some heat in because she's uh, speaking to us from Tempe, Arizona. Our, our guest is uh, Victoria Jackson. Uh, Victoria Jackson is a uh, sports historian at Arizona State University. She's uh, been there for a number of years, uh, both as a as an educator, an academician, but also as a as an athlete. Well, actually, she she was actually a former collegiate track star at the University of North Carolina, uh, but she's really set. Um, you know, she wrote a, a very provocative piece uh, that's got everybody talking. Had a lot of people talking. A lot of people trying not to talk right. <laughs> about it. Uh, but she she wrote a recent article called "A Jim Crow Divide in College Sports." Which was really, really great. Anyway, uh, she'll talk about it, but our guest is uh, Victoria Jackson. Victoria, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure. Yeah, no, it's really, really great. Let's get into it. This is um, it's one of those things that um, a lot of people who have been, you know, sports academicians have been talking about. It's like the new sort of, you could call it Jim Crow, you could call it the plantation system uh, and the backdrop of this is that you were a a distance runner um yeah. for your career right you were a distance runner and um basically the premise is not really a premise it's true but i, I guess why don't you why don't you describe uh, for the listeners um about um uh what you saw and what led you to write this piece about sort of the, this jim crow divide in in college sports yeah thank you um, well, uh, there were a few forces, um, kind of playing out over the last five years or so. Um, and I should take a step back and say, like, intercollegiate athletics is a very complex system. Um, it's complicated. There's no easy answers. It, that's why I find it so fascinating to study. Um, there's just all these historical forces at play that have contributed contributed to getting us to where we are today um, with this billion-dollar sports industry operating in the space of higher education. Hmm. Um, like when you phrase it that way, it's nuts. And right. it's the only place in the world where it's like this. Hmm. Um, we're the only country in the world that has um, built amateur sport into our schools. And we're the only country in the world that's stayed wedded to this idea of amateur sport. Um, when the Olympic movement moved away from it, so did the rest of the world, and we didn't. So so I think, um, you know, it, it's it's a, a fascinating space for research. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of am in – it's not a unique position. There's a lot of athletes that come out of this um, system, right, and people like me who – did take you know were able to take advantage right, right. of earning quality degrees are now you know it's almost like 
look what you did. You trained us to be critical thinkers, and we've decided to focus on this system. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're saying um, is that it's that that, and that's sort of one of the things you point out. That's sort of the dilemma. Is that is that the divide you're talking about is is mostly white athletes for the most part. For the, let's say for the sake of argument, your your white athletes are sort of concentrated in these sort of what we call non-revenue sports: the track, the tennis, yeah. the lacrosse. You know, which are predominantly white athletes and white coaches. Uh, and but these sports are basically supported by the what I call the blood sports, the football and basketball team. They do sort of the heavy lifting in the sun and toting that bar, lift that bail, so that a not only can you compete, but like you, I think you were saying, you could also have time to really get a great education, right? And that's sort of the the divide yeah. you were talking about. The predominantly black athletes are in the fields doing football, basketball to support the predominantly white athletes in you know, non-rev sports. Is that a fair accounting of what you're, what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So so we have this system where black, you know, I, I got to the point where I came to the realization that it, it's black athlete labor that's paying for white athlete privilege. Mm-hmm. If we take a step back and look at the overall, overall kind of systemic, you know, institution, mm-hmm. sure. the, the, the structure of what's going on here, and, you know, to, to explain that, you have to kind of go to the individual institution rather than kind of just looking at the NCAA policy history or, you know, rules regarding amateurism and see how this plays out at the, indivi- the individual mm-hmm. institution. So my, my research focus has been UNC Chapel Hill. Um, it's a great place to look at how this plays out on the ground for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, and yeah, so so uh, looking at this historically, um, you have, you know, as the big time expands and accelerates over time, it puts more and more pressure on the revenue sports to generate money. Um, and, you know, to make money, you've got to win. And to win, you have to get the best recruits. And to get the best recruits, you have to have the best coaches. So you have to pay them millions of dollars. And you also have to build you know, state-of-the-art facilities, and you got to keep up with the Joneses because if that other university has more bells and whistles than you do, you might lose that recruit. Right. And, you know, that's what brings in the money. Um, and so the, the time demands on these athletes. And, and um, you know, we can place blame with the coaches, but the coaches need to keep their jobs. So, like, right. they're stuck. Um, it, and so it's, it's this really problematic system. And so you have, you've had academic researchers doing studies where, you know, okay, so how much are football and basketball players really spending on sport per week? You know, the NCAA rules limit it to 20 hours per week. And if you look at it, like, for real, it's upwards of 50, 60 hours a week. Right. And then if you look at the flip side of it, you know, the, the athletes in sports like mine, you know, a distance runner, I never spent more than 20 hours a week at sport. So we fit much more cleanly with the NCAA messaging um, that we go pro in something other than sport. You know, we right, right. we are the beneficiaries of the athletic scholarship. Mm-hmm. When, when did you, when, when did the light come off? I mean, you know, you grew up in uh, you're born in Detroit, grew up in you know Lake Forest, uh, Illinois. You know, a fairly affluent. City, you know, and you run, you ran, <laughs> you, you, you love you know you love running and blah 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 blah. When did the light come off? Uh, at some point that this was sort of like a plantation system, whereas you call it a Jim Crow system. Was it in high school or was it North Carolina? When did you kind of look around and say, wow, this is really a fascinating reflection of the larger society, you know, of, 
of uh, sort of black labor, white wealth. When, when did the light come off, go off? You know, um, more recently than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, my background, actually, I, I wasn't studying sport. I, I was studying um, Native American and African American history, you know, when I was serious and academic. And then when I was, I mean, I, re- I drank the amateurism Kool-Aid, right? Like, mm. you can't take sport seriously. So, like, when I'm a serious scholar, I, I do this stuff, and then I go and run for fun on the side. Mm. Um, and uh, so there's a, a couple ways to answer this question. The first is that um, I, I was studying Native American history, um, competing as a graduate student at ASU, mm. and then um, won a national, an NCAA national title as a graduate student and turned pro. I signed with Nike and mm. stepped away from school for a side. while. Wow, you went to the dark side. You went to the real dark side. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, and, and my, my uh, current employer, my institution right now, ASU, is an Adidas school. So, mm. you know, but there at the go. time, <laughs> ASU was a Nike school. So yeah. I was partisan. Mm. Um, <laughs> but during that time away, you know, as, as I was competing on the national and international track circuits, I started to, you know, wait a second, I could be doing that. Like I could be taking this seriously. I could be studying sport. And I've always had an interest in education um, and, and um, kind of uh, especially segregated education, the history of segregated education um, and the, the failure of desegregated education in this country. Um, and so, you know, again, since we have sport built into the school system, um, you know, that, that just became an area of interest. And then I had no idea what was going on in Chapel Hill when I was there. Um, I, I graduated um, from UNC in 2004 mm-hmm. and attended at the same time as people like uh, Rashad McCants and Julius Peppers, right. um, mm-hmm. whose transcripts have been made public, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and had no idea um, about the ongoing, I mean, just really deeply embedded academic fraud that was taking place mm-hmm. um, primarily among football and basketball players. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, this is, me-. I mean, I I feel a connection with those athletes. Like, I benefited because they weren't getting the education that we were all promised. And I, I did get that education. Mm. So um, go, go into that a little, a little more specifically. In terms of, like, when you say you benefited from from their labor like like specifically how do you, how so um so you know some of the pushback i get when i say this is like well you know the the monies are separate and you know it's donors who contribute to scholarships for athletes but like i wouldn't have been traveling to the places I was traveling or benefiting from the facilities that I got to use or getting the attention to our sport that we would have received otherwise. It would have been high school sport writ large. Right. Um, you know, like kind of a scholastic model of sport, if not for the very big-time sports industry that's been created around football and basketball. And so, you know, the NCAA messaging is that we all benefit from this because we're all student-athletes. We all get scholarships, and that's just and enough compensation for all of us to come to college, play our sports, and earn quality degrees. 
And yeah, that worked for me. That's exactly what happened for me. I, became, I fell in love with history at UNC. Um, and, and now I'm a historian. <laughs> I'm a professional historian now. And, 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 um, and, and I, I, I guess if, if somebody like um, McCants would have strolled into the coach's office or when they recruit said, you know, I want, I'd like to be a history major. And they say, you know, they look at him like he was nuts. Said, you know, do you know how much time that t- or, or, like I like to be an engineer, right. or I want to go to med school, right. and they say, you know, son, I, I, you sure yeah. you got the right, <laughs> you yeah. got the right division, the right school, right? That might bring his his average down a few points if you tried that, right, right. But you, but you were saying you you, you were saying, uh, Victoria, that this all you began to check out this system post a, after you graduated from from UNC, or or you know all this sort of in retrospect or while you were at UNC. Yeah. Um, I, I Again, I, I wish I had been more attuned to it. Um, I mean, it, it's not that I thought the system was perfect, but I, you know, this sharp critique and kind of consciousness I have now was far from developed then. And I think part of it is because, like, it's the culture of college athletic departments. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to win, if you want to be 100% as an athlete, like the message we receive as athletes is you've got to buy in 100%. Because, you know, if, if we're all at this really, you know, super elite level, the difference between, you know, somebody operating at 99.5% of their potential and 99.9% of the, you know, their potential is, is the difference between earning an NCAA title and earning All-American. Right. And, you, you know, we've, the messaging we consume is that sport matters more than anything else as an athlete. You you know you got you got to buy in a hundred percent. You got to do what your coach says. You can't have any sort of negative thoughts coming into this area. Like you got to buy in. You know. Did your um, heart? Did your did your hearts? Having said all, did your heart swell with pride a couple of years ago when you know when UNS UNC won the national championship? I mean, was there? Did you were you still a Tar Heel? Were you still proud of it? Knowing how the sausage was made. Oh, um, well, last year, uh, the final four was here. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, I could have gone (laughs) to the game. I, I don't, I don't watch UNC basketball anymore. Mm. Um, I, I, what really, um, bothers me to get kind of more specific Mm. is, uh, the interview that, um, Jay Billis conducted with Roy Williams after Mm. Rashad McCants went public with his academic transcript mm. and pointed out all the paper classes he was taking. And mm. it was, it just so happened to be <laughs> the season that they earned an, uh, another uh, NCAA title in 2005. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that, that interview didn't bother me. What bothered me was um, the uncomfortable, or I should say what I interpreted as the uncomfortable body language and expressions of, the former Tar Heel basketball players who were standing behind Roy Williams as mm. he was giving that interview, denying that he had any knowledge of the academic fraud going on, and and maybe he didn't, but I don't I don't know I I felt very uncomfortable about him putting those athletes in that place. Um, I don't know whether or not they were also um, you know taking the academically questionable classes, but. I don't know. They're also kind of dependent upon Roy Williams. Right, of course. Um, if if they're still working in this industry, you know, that that that's what I I, I see as a problem with 
intercollegiate athletics mm-hmm. kind of beyond this is if you say anything critical, you're out. Um, and you're, it's, it's really hard to kind of, you know, navigate your way back in. Um, well, what's the, you know, I mean, this is, this is an issue that, that most people, you know, they see it, they know it's the case, they know, um, you know, football, basketball players, predominantly, predominantly black aren't paid. Um, so there's, you know, people have internal issues as far as that goes, but, What's the what's what's the origin of the problem, and is there can there really even be a solution? Right. Um, right. Like, what's the solution? Right. Is is the solution just getting rid of the whole the whole thing in general? I mean, you have a system that's built off of unpaid labor. It's a revenue system built off unpaid labor. How could that ever be, you know, changed or rehabilitated? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's the big question, and um, you know I. I I study this history, and history would tell us that we'll just continue to see minor changes being made, the institutions and um, the NCAA playing defense and making minor adjustments during these moments of kind of flared-up criticism. Like, there's almost every decade there's a a couple-year period where there's this crisis and there's congressional hearings or a lawsuit or – and the public consciousness shifts, um, and it starts in the 20s. Um, like if you go and read the Carnegie Foundation report on intercollegiate athletics that was published in 1929, like yeah, right. it's—I mean—they're identifying these kind of structural issues that are the same issues today. Um, and you know as far as like well what what should we do what what should we do about all of this um there's really smart people working on this who are trained to think about kind of future outcomes and economic models and i see my role as a historian kind of um supporting those efforts but just again um kind of like how i started out contributing to by continuing to point out you know, we're the only place in the world doing this. We are running a billion-dollar sports industry within the space of higher education. There's really smart people in all of these institutions of higher ed who, like, speak about innovation and disruption all the time. Like, why don't we look inside and figure out a way to fix this that, that's more beneficial to the people who are subsidizing the whole system? Because, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are reluctant to do anything because they're convinced that the positives outweigh the negatives. But when the negatives historically always seem to be placed upon people of color and, and in particular black men, um, the lives and educational and career outcomes of black men, I don't care if there's more positives than negatives. Like, we need to do something to... to serve that population, that, that demographic in this country. Um, and uh, whether it's um, professionalizing those sports and providing, you know, continued educational pathways while they're pursuing professional sport, whether it's figuring out how to subsidize, whether it's like um, one of these alternative leagues, uh, startup alternative leagues, um, you know, that that's for other smart people to, to work on. <laughs> yeah. 
they're they're more qualified than I am. I go to archives and read about like how this developed in the 1970s. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Check it out. Our, uh, our guest is Victoria Jackson. Uh, Victoria is a sports historian at Arizona State University. She's a former uh, collegiate track star at UNC, and she's written a very, she wrote a very provocative uh, article uh, the LA Times called "A Jim Crow Divide in College Sports." Uh, what what kind of pushback did you did you get when you when that, that uh, when the article first uh, appeared? I imagine people weren't necessarily throwing you a parade. Some people were. Most people <laughs> probably weren't. Yeah, um, you know that that's been. I, I think there's there's been no surprises. Um, so I expected to receive heat from, you know, college sports fans who just do not want to pull back the curtain and uh, and actually think about what's going on. And then, um, you know, I mean, it is 2018. <laughs> We're right. beginning year two of the Trump presidency. So I think p- things are even more polarized than ever with regard to ideas about um, race, and uh, racial progress <laughs> in this country. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you are speaking about white privilege, uh, there, there's a certain group that are just going to attack. So I was called a racist snowflake, which was like, that was probably my favorite. <laughs> that was your favorite. A racist, a racist snowflake. <laughs> yeah, they, they take, you know, they, they take your, your language and flip it on its head. So there, was, uh, there were two lines that I really liked writing that here i've got it right here if you are black and male and you do not play sports well good luck gaining admission to schools like unc if you are admitted be prepared to field regular inquiries about which sport you play they're like you're saying that black men can't go to unc you're a racist you're you're saying they're too stupid (laughs) to get into unc like yeah that's totally what i'm saying well but your study the study and i'm sure but the study that you quoted found that black men represent 2.8% of undergraduate students in UNSC, but UNC, but 62% of the school's right. basketball and football player. I mean, and, and I'm sure it's not just UNC. You could probably go down at the Power Five conferences, you know, right. uh, Auburn, that, Alabama. I mean, you could probably those, go right those, down. Those might be good numbers. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, some places might be like 1%, like a place like Auburn. But, yeah, man, but it, so the proof is, is, is there. I mean, you're not saying they can't get in. What you're basically right. saying is that, is that what we need you to do, we don't necessarily need you to be students. We need you to be football, basketball players. That's, that's kind of what we need you to do. Uh, we don't necessarily need you to, you know, uh, play lacrosse or to play tennis. or that We got that covered. What we need you to do is play football, basketball. And that's sort of the, 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 the numbers are there. You don't have to make a right. thing. Then you say those athletes – those athletes graduate at a percent of forty at a rate of forty five percent compared to seventy two percent of all athletes. And and why is that? I mean why 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 are the basketball football graduation rates lower than 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 the other the other sports? 
Oh, well, um, I mean, first of all, your time demands. Um, so, uh, you know, you just, and, and not just the time demands, not just the fact that you're spending 50 to 60 hours per week on your sport, but also like if you want to like, right, if you've bought in 100% as ever, all the messaging you've received is telling you to do, right. you choose eight hours of sleep instead of four hours of sleep right. and working to revise the paper that's due tomorrow. And I think that's where my experience as an athlete really helps kind of understand how this plays out um, in the day-to-day. Like, I've, I've heard coaches say, <laughs> you know, you better be getting, you know, the sleep you need tonight. I don't care what to do. Like, we've got a big game or race or competition coming up, right? So, and, and those coaches, again, like, they have to win. Like, <laughs> right. they're educators, right? This is all predicated on the idea that college sports are educational, but those coaches, primarily at the end of the day, you know, it's it's whether they're winning right. <laughs> that helps them keep their job. So I, yeah. I it's not that I'm like I understand what's going on here, and that's why I like to talk more about the kind of structure we've created rather than blame individuals. Because right. like I work with people yeah. in college sports, they're good people. It's right. just like we've created this monster. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, you you do blame a little bit. I mean, when we when you, when you ask why. Uh, you know, this is oh, happening. Yeah. One of the things you say is white people want it this way. Um, you know, for example, you say uh, they feel good about, you know, some people feel good about providing a disadvantaged kid a lottery ticket. So, you know, is it, you know, it, you know, what's, what's the, what's the thinking there? Is it, you know, are there some good intentions or is it all bad intentions or is it somewhere in between? I think if, so for some people, I think they really believe, you know, you're getting a free education. Shut up and play. Mm-hmm. And and part of the like, I'll I'll return to to the this uh, topic in a second. But like part of the the reason I used Jim Crow is that like you're valuable to us only when you're entertainers. Right. We have this long history of um you know shut up and make me laugh or. You know, um, and, and I mean, just jumping Jim Crow, right? It's it's out of vaudeville. So that's, that's what I was kind of using here. You can have access to this elite institution, right? The premier state university in North Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill. But you got to entertain us to get right. here. Um, and uh, so, so to go back to kind of white fans um, in white America, I think I think there's a segment where what's driving them is that they, they do believe this idea that we've created pathways for people of color to come and get free educations and play sports and how dare they complain about this. <laughs> but right. I think it's bigger than that. I think um, this institution just culturally matters so much. Like we, so many of us organize our approach to the change of seasons around the return of big time college football in the fall. I mean, you know, we associate those games with the start of school, and I mean that—that's a really powerful thing. And um, we don't want. I think there's a fear of a loss of that if this somehow changes, um, if they're no longer amateur, whatever that is at this point. Um, that there's also a purity lost, um, and that. Um, you know, the, the local economy might suffer if we don't have people making their pilgrimages to the big house in Ann Arbor, in Ann Arbor like, yeah. 
to go see the Cornhuskers play in Lincoln. Like, that can't change. And it's too bad if, if you think that this is exploitative, but we want to watch our football. Mm-hmm. And, and not even, you know, we haven't even talked about how the sport itself might be inherently harmful to brains and right. should schools really even be fielding these teams in the first place <laughs> right, right, right. How, how much uh, how much um responsibility is also on the athletes on the families because you know i mean they're they're these black same black families who are feeding their 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 sons and daughters but let's say for the most part sons into the system that for example if you're in the sec you know with the history of not really hiring a lot of black coaches um, or not, you know, through almost every major conference, we continue to send our kids to these schools that make it clear that we're not going to hire black ADs. Your son's probably not going to become a head coach here. We just want you for your labor, but yet you keep sending them to us. And and even with McCants, I mean, yes, it's. I, I think that y- you know every system, whether it's the, the 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 slave system, the Jim Crow system, particularly slaves, you have rebellions. You have slave rebellions saying we're rebelling against this system. Uh, we're not going to be a part of the system. Um, h- how much, you know, how much uh, responsibility also falls on the quote-unquote victims, the people so willing, will, willingly not only participate in it, but like, you know, don't challenge it, don't speak up. Uh, this is the players, the coaches who send the players to these schools, the parents who willingly you know, give their kids to this school. I mean, how much, it's almost a, it's kind of, not. I wouldn't say half and half, but it's, it's you, you know, it's, it's a, it goes a little both ways. Not, not 100% both ways, but a little both ways. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I, 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 I just could never get to a place where I would be able to, place blame with the athletes themselves because if you're someone who's at a power five school and a starter when you're 18 you likely demonstrated that potential from a very young age and so you've had teachers parents coaches all the adults in your life um you know not in every case but in many cases feeding this this kind of messaging that you're going to make it to the NFL like you're and and that's not a bad thing but we've got to we've got to set up athletes for success in case that isn't the outcome and um, make sure that you know there's alternative backup plans in place because you know those stats like two percent go pro 98 percent don't and that's Mm -hmm. of the the group that make it to play college football and basketball so we, we, I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it's also on us to, like, step up and come to terms with that fact as well. Because they could have, for example, Jamal and I are both products of historically black college university. And I'll tell you, because mm-hmm. we had this conversation uh, maybe a few months ago with some University of Texas players. You know, I was just speaking to them casually. And they were talking about, yeah, we're exploited, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you know, now you could go to Prairie View. Right. You could come to go to Morgan. Well, you know, we don't want, you know. So, I mean, you could. And, 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 and by the way, I think that what you were saying earlier, because uh, I, I played football at Morgan a long time ago, but at a certain point I, I had a professor who would never, we used to play Grambling every year at Yankee Stadium. 
And I remember Mr. Fisher would never go to those games in New York. He said, you know, you, you guys are being exploited. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to these big Yankee Stadium, playing this big stadium. Number one, Grambling is sort of this professionalized program. And you here, Morgan, we kind of more dealing with academic, but you're going there for, for the money, for the paycheck. So what you're describing, there's a, there's a system that that's almost sort of an exploitive system that just that just gets um, uh, gets on steroids when you're talking about the Power Five. When you now mm-hmm. sort of racism becomes because now now at a, at a at a white school, you know the black athlete it, you know becomes even now you're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars. You know, so th- so there's there's a sort of exploitation just kind of built into the system, whether it's black, green, or indifferent. You could argue that at HBCU, at a certain level, we do see you kind of as a human being. Once you graduate, you know, we we'll kind of take our time. If you want to major in history, or whatever. Right. I mean, the simple percentage of of the of the number of students, black or minority students, in the school itself is different from what we just talked about right. from say UNC, right. where you got 2.8% of the population, um, you know, black black students there compared to 62% of the players. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a total, <laughs> it's a, it is, there is a difference there. Yeah. Now, but, but that goes back to my, my, my point in terms of the entire system. I mean, it's, I don't know how you deny that, that the system as a whole is corrupt and it was, it was created as a, as a, as a system to to make money off of unpaid labor, right. I don't. Regardless I mean, that had, what color right, the, right, no, no, regardless of what color, and that had to, that had to be yeah. at the at the outset, of, you know, at the creation of it. So but how but how do you how yeah, do you yeah, fix that? Yeah, how do, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, yeah. Well, how do you? I guess that's the next level of this is problem solving. I mean, I know you said you're an academic, and our history, your your, your job is like to see how screwed to up. Say we're wrong. Is. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but um. What what are some of the um, do you, what's the I mean I like the scholarship system, you know I mean I, I mean I like the idea of it you know going I was an English major and and and, and all that but what's the I don't know what's the solution but what's the way forward uh, mm-hmm. to a solution? I mean yeah that that's a big difficult question. Um, it, bound up in it is whether or not we should be fielding football at all within schools. And the demographics are just going to, like the racial racial scenario, uh, ratio will continue to change um, to even greater majorities of black athletes but as more and more kind of middle-class white schools are cutting their high school football programs and more and more parents are keeping their kids out of football mm-hmm. um so there's that part like not the lower be, income kids a lot of them are saying right. you know they're saying hey we'll do it if you don't do it we'll do it right right i, I see it going the way of boxing mm-hmm. like boxing was an ncaa sport <laughs> right. Right. and if you look at the you know the racial makeup of boxing today it's you know oh you know right majority of people of color who are boxers mm-hmm. um and so there's that, um, but there, there's really there's some great ideas for for what to do. Um, I should say that um, Ken Shropshire, who's joined right. yep. ASU, <laughs> um, just uh, published a book uh, with Colin Williams uh, called "The Miseducation of the Student Athlete," and their their solution is to just make sure this really is educational, um, and and you know part of that is 
why do you have to complete your degree during your time as an athlete? You know, let's extend that timeline. And the NCAA within the Power Five, um, I think, has, has moved toward the idea of five- or six-year scholarships or even kind of lifetime scholarships where, you know, if you leave in good academic standing, come back anytime and finish your degree and we'll pay for it. Right. Right. Um, like that. So that's, that's awesome, but that requires resources. So uh, there's kind of the haves and the have-nots, right? If you go to one of these schools that can afford that, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, but not everybody can can pay for that. Um, well, I I kind of like. To... <clears throat> What's that? You can go D three. You can always go D three. But how, but I don't I don't how could how could they not afford that if they can in the first place afford to put to to put you through school while you're playing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you would assume that they still make that 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 revenue still comes in, uh, you know, later on. Why, you know, wh- why wouldn't they be able to afford uh, extending the time period someone can get a degree? That's a good question. Um, I I th- I want to say that the kind of bottom tier of Division One schools don't believe that they could afford right. that. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Another uh, kind of idea that some people play around with is the idea of majoring in sport or coming up with degrees that are more meaningful Mm -hmm. um, for athletes. And this is another thing that uh, Ken Ken has um, in in his book. Um, But other people are working on it, too. Um, There's Arianne Waite, who's um, at UNC, actually. And, uh, you know, just rethinking a... a, 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 degree for athletes that actually help athletes who might go pro or who want to do something within this industry. And um, I I played the violin in college. Um, I played in the orchestra. And something that really struck me as interesting was that, like, I could play in a quartet on the weekends and make some cash. And my friends who majored in their instrument could like make some money on the weekend playing in a quartet um, or some sort of string ensemble and like not lose their scholarship. (laughs) Right. Like they were, they were music majors on scholarship, making money still considered amateur. And like, it was no big deal. So like, and I think it's part of this kind of high art, low art divide, right? Like it's sophisticated to play a stringed instrument. It's really sophisticated to play football. Like it takes so much hard work and talent and creativity. And I mean, musicians and athletes are very similar in that way. They're both creative productions, performances. Like, why have we, um, but, but you know? I feel like it goes back to the to the intense competition and the greed and the and the money as far as not letting the kids benefit you know, off of their likeness or whatever, because, yeah. you know, some, you know, one school might be able to provide more than the next. So then that school's like, hey, this is unfair. You know, we want, you know, we want our team to be great, too. Right. We're not going to let you do that. So they so they right. they ban it from everybody. Right. right. And I also think that uh, you, you you get back to that point of, uh, you know, I remember I was speaking because uh, I've been on this thing for a long time about uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, uh, the the sports program being sort of the. Uh, like, like, sort of the 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 whore of of the of the uh, of the academy. For example, I mean, you know, these same things. You know, music had the same difficulty. You know, and and art, and and uh, dance, and all that. That for a long time, people felt that that did not have those 
those creative arts did not have a place on the liberal arts campus, you know. Mm-hmm. And but but you know, music finally came up with its own curriculum. Uh, 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 drama did, um, art did, and so now you've got these great schools of music, great schools of art, great schools of like of, of, of dance, of theater, and um, you know when you when you go to a performance, you know let's say at Arizona State, and you go to a, a great dramatic performance on a Saturday. Well, on Monday, you say, oh, oh, there's a connection. Oh, there's a school of theater. Right. Or you say, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, oh, there's a school of music. Oh, it all makes sense. But yet you. You're at Sun Devil Stadium, you know, on a Saturday. Then on Monday, you know, whoa, now where is this? Where, where, where I don't, where is, what, what, you know, where is it? I don't see it. Right, There's right. no academic connection, and I just think it's a sort of, I don't know, Ken is, it's a sort of laziness in a way among, you know, they don't respect it enough mm-hmm. to really develop to do the work that's required to, as you said, to develop a curriculum that now. This thing, this this this, what we see on Saturday, or every you know now on Monday, there's this academic connection to it, and it you know so, um, and even when they do, even when you have like a sports business class, which or, isn't quite the same, not thing. the That's same, not quite the same, not thing. the same at all. But even but even something related to it is still too much. Yeah, what do you think about that? You're, you're you're the you're the uh, academic is uh, is. You know, <laughs> Well, I would have to say my institution is innovating in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we take sports seriously at ASU, um, mm-hmm. and, and critically is a better right. way to say it. So we we have lots of people studying sport and taking sports seriously across, a, I mean, dozens of disciplines. Mm-hmm. And the university is putting funds into that effort, trying to bring us together. We have this new, um, well, the reason Ken is here, Ken Shropshire is here, is to direct our new Global Sport Institute. And um, so we have sports journalism in the Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communications. We have sports and media studies in our business school. Um, You know, we've got people like me who um, are are looking at sport within the humanities. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's created a Um, for students to, um, you know, take classes that are more in line with their interests if they're student athletes. And also, um, you know, unlike what happened with me where, like, (laughs) I was, uh, it took a long time to get to that moment where it clicked where I could actually be studying this. Mm -hmm. They're coming in as freshmen knowing that they can study sport and take it seriously, which is pretty cool. And um, we're also um, thinking, I know uh, Ken is working on um, innovating and creating new models for more meaningful degrees for for athletes. Um, And, you know, we also have ASU online. um, So they don't even have to be physically in Tempe. If they're an athlete training somewhere else, um, they can benefit from what we're developing here, too. Yeah, so I think we're talking about an evolution. I mean, that's why rather than throw out the system, which I think is pretty good uh, and unique, as you point out at the beginning, it's a very unique system, uh, and it's a good system. But I think, as you were saying, you know, we kind of have to continue to refine it, work out it, and, and, and it's, it's hard when money becomes the highest value 
in our society, and it's mm-hmm. all about the money. Let, let me ask you one thing, uh, Victoria, before we let you go, and I guess there's uh, Victoria uh, Jackson, who's a um, sports historian at Arizona State uh, University. Uh, I just want to switch gears for a minute just to this this whole uh, the scandal in gymnastics and sexual abuse that's sort of on trial. I know that you've spoken about that um, uh, what what is sort of I don't want to say what's your take on that I mean, it is awful, um, <laughs> but what what's your what do you make uh, of that and 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 uh, it's, it's really an indictment. Uh, you know we, we've talked about in the last hour or so we've talked about the indictment of sort of our intercollegiate system, but this is mm-hmm. almost another form of child abuse. How, how do you feel about that? And do you think it's really an indictment of sort of our youth our youth system? Yeah. Um... Well, you know, since we've been talking about higher education, like we as educators have failed our young people. And, yeah, it's college um, in the case of Michigan State, so our, our young adults. Um, and and it's like sadly, <laughs> I would – I mean, the scale of this is unprecedented and horrifying. So this is just, you know, at a completely different level. But um, – For me, it's an opportunity for us to to really think carefully and critically about what's going on on our campuses. Like if I had the opportunity to go around and speak to faculties Mm. um, at various um, campuses of higher education right now, I would say, like, do more. Don't ignore what's going on in athletics. Like just just start showing up to stuff or like Mm. start talking to your student athletes because this is a space that, you know, it, it's it's not that there's a scandal on every single campus. And again, you know, what happened with Larry Nasser at Michigan State is just completely different level. But but there are serious issues going on on multiple campuses probably right now. Mm. Um, and it, it's part of this this culture in which people are afraid to say anything negative or critical mm. because of of you know, anything that might hurt the brand, anything right. that might hurt the bottom line. Like, yeah. this is the PR front porch of the university. And um, it, what's fascinating to me is that, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> this discouragement of critical thinking. Um, that's exactly the business of higher education. We're in the business of critical thinking, and we have this one place on campus where we, you know, that, that eschews it. So I... <laughs> And when, it, it, and when you when you say that you're talking about I guess on all levels are you talking about the university itself, the department, employees themselves, and the and the athletes? Um, yeah, athletes are afraid to say something, and when they do, they're often like what we saw at Michigan State, um, either ignored or nothing's done, or they're they're even yelled at for bringing attention to it. Right. Um, and and you know, I think. What I what I see as faculty's role is just to create more bridges between academics and athletics, and this this can happen on the athletic side too. More um, kind of teams of people with both athletes and academics, and and coaches or administrators working together, so that there's just more in, um, interaction. And um, you know, again, we're, if we're calling this amateurism, <laughs> it, it's because it's educational. So the more we we, if we work in athletics, think of ourselves as educators, the more likely we are to place our students 
needs and interests first. Um, and if it's a public institution, there should be regular programming and, and private too. But you know, if we're state employees, um, there, there's another layer of responsibility added into that. Do you see uh, like a want-to from from the faculty members that you that you talk to? Is there, you know, do they? Is that something that that they you you feel that they want to do? And and on the other side, uh, from the athletic point of view, do you do you see that on that side also? Even though I would doubt it. Um, I, I think there are folks who are academics who are so excited to work with athletics that mm. they're almost worse <laughs> and that they're just like gonna be rah-rah about everything. Um, mm. I think there's a lot of that. Mm. And I also think, um, sometimes those are only the people brought in to work with athletics are the people that they're sure are just going to be super raw, raw, big fans. I think that's, that's the wrong approach. I I think um, you find the people who maybe were athletes themselves who were like, cause there's so many of us (laughs) and uh, who are approaching this in a way that, that is really serving the students rather than the brand, I think is a way to put it. Our guest has been uh, Victoria Jackson. Um, she's a sports historian uh, at Arizona State University, a uh, college uh, star. I keep saying college star at UNC. Do you embrace that, Victoria, when I say college star? You, you know, were you a star? <laughs> I mean, you, you had a great career, right? You had a pretty, you know, to, to the point, you, you, use, you use the system the right, way it's correct, supposed to be used, right? right? Right, you use the system. You didn't let the system use you, right? Absolutely, <laughs> especially because I had eligibility in graduate school. Yeah, um, oh you really used the system. You, you, pimp, <laughs> you pimped the system. <laughs> no, I wasn't on athletic monies as a graduate student. Yeah. But <laughs> I was still benefiting from all of the all of the stuff that supports you know athletes. Right. Uh, competition. So right. gone with uh, the yeah, wind. Totally you know, kind of like on the veranda, looking out the veranda at the guys picking cotton and all that. He's like, oh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. <laughs> Here's some water. Here's a drink of water. <laughs> no. but, but, Your words, not mine. I know, I, I know. Well, you use Jim Crow. I just use a plantation. Like, <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Just word. a few years after the other. That's yeah, that's right. Well, you know, that's what. Well, that's another. Right. That's another story. Hey, Victoria, thank you. So, I mean, we could do this for another hour and maybe we we should actually are you you plan to come to new york anytime soon we'd love to have you in the studio to uh continue this revolution Ooh, i'll make a trip to new york just for that oh oh well great, great. You, can, you, can, you can come to worse places <laughs> than this yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, do, but do it make sure you do it in the spring right right I was going to say, maybe you should come out here. Spring training's coming up, ah, you know, it's like in the 70s this week. <laughs> I like that a lot. We'll, we'll play Bill Roden on sports on the road. On the road. <laughs> I like that a lot, you know. Hey, Victoria, this has been really wonderful. Uh, great, great. Uh, if you haven't um, checked out the article, check out a Jim Crow Divide in College Sports. Uh, really, really uh, not only thought-provoking, but I think, uh, yeah, I must, I must confess we were talking about this. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, Victoria Jackson, oh, yeah, sister, you know, black woman, you know, writing creatively, you know, we talk about, you know, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, wow, you know, uh, teaching source history, that's unusual, you know, wow, what, what did she sprint? And then, so, no, she's a distance <laughs> runner. Wait a minute, 
She white? <laughs> oh God! What can I what can I say? But but I mean, but you know, and I, I think uh, before we let you, I guess part of this whole thing is somebody called you a white snowflake. So the idea that I think sometimes the hardest thing to do for any critic is to sort of critic critique your own. That's like sort of a black person talking about violence in the black community and then going directly to the gangs. Mm-hmm. That's hard mm-hmm. because that's when you really take a lot of heat from your own. I think the same thing. If you're if you're a quote unquote white and you're talking about white privilege, you know, you're gonna really get it. And particularly in this environment. Right. I don't know if you found that, but <laughs> I mean sure you do you do you do get it. You get it hard. Yeah, I think you're uh, yes, I would agree with that. Um but I also felt a response of it like once I understood what was going on i felt a responsibility to, to talk right. about it right. um so bring the hate like that's that's cool right. i i knew it was coming that's fine i can i can manage that you know right. it's, free <laughs> it, it's only a fraction of of you know what other people endure that's in right. in the current moment so right. <laughs> hey, well the struggle continues uh hey, hey victoria listen thank you so much and seriously whether we go there or you come here uh, let's let's reconnect soon because this is a this is a great subject, great topic, and, uh, and it's not going anywhere. It's not going as long as you saw you saw you saw you saw the uh, Alabama uh, who they played Alabama. Um, what's the name game right? Uh, Georgia. You saw the Alabama Georgia game right? <laughs> this, this is not going anywhere. Right, and and and, and, and it was just reported today that Alabama made a hundred and eight million dollars last year. Mm. Oh um, my of, you know, the Alabama football. Right. Uh, re- the revenue was $108 million last year. So. That's right. And a lot of cross-country players yeah. and very lacrosse players. And yeah. Long-distance long track. <laughs> Runners very happy about that. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Go, roll Tide. Hey, hey, Victor. Thank, hey, my, thank you so much. It's been great. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I, it was a pleasure talking with you, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. That was Victoria Jackson, sports historian at Arizona State University. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with uh, someone else to help us burn it, <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know that's what we're here for. But anyway, hey, uh, God bless everybody. We'll see you uh, next week. Uh, Bill Roden on sports. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.